0: The book of 2 Peter this morning, chapter 3, as we continue here on our series on worldview, on reality, trying to make sense of this crazy world and how the Bible gives us God's view of what is happening in human history. And in the book of 2 Peter, Chapter number three, we're going to read a passage of Scripture. Then if you've already found that, turn over to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to add another passage there and read them together. And uh, will you stand with me? Second Peter 3 and Revelation chapter number 21 in your Bibles this morning. Second Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come, future tense, as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, all these things being the physical universe, I looked up the word dissolved. It has the idea that they will completely be separated from each other. They'll come apart. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we, ye, to be in all holy conversation or lifestyle and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, And the elements, elements, the most basic building blocks of the universe. When you take chemistry in high school, they put the chart of the elements up. The things that can be reduced no further, the most basic building blocks. The elements on this day will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven, new heavens, and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Righteousness. Now, if you will also turn with me the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, Revelation 21, and John here looking to the future prophetically also says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And Heavenly Father, will you add your blessing to this passage as I speak on it? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you and that the people will listen from their hearts. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A biblical worldview, a worldview as I've told you repeatedly, but I want you to not ever forget it, is the way that we look at and interpret the events of our life. Every day we're living a life and things are happening all around us and we're seeing those events come in through our eyes and ears and so on and then we interpret those events we decide how significant they are, how insignificant they may be. We interpret those events, and the basis on which we interpret them is our worldview. And I am seeking as a pastor to get you to have or to develop a biblical worldview. Just like I'm looking through my glasses at you today and seeing everything that I see through these lenses on my nose here, in the same way, I want you to look at life through the lens of Scripture, and I want you to interpret it according to the Scripture, not according to the media, not according to the secular teaching that we're inundated with, but to have a biblical worldview. And I think that's the only way to make sense of a crazy world. And isn't it crazy? Every week it goes a little bit crazier. Crazier. And uh, I'll tell you where I am. I'm down to reading little nursery books, children's books. Because this one makes more sense than anything I've read in the New York Times. The day the world went wacky. Now, I understand that. I can get that. Probably everybody here can get that, can't you? The day the world went wacky. And my daughter reads this little book to her kids. And I thought, man, they ought to teach this in the PhD program of most seminaries today. And some of these fellows will become informed about what they're skipping over, I think. Listen to a little bit of it. I'm starting in the middle. The next day, God said to Adam, your sin cursed the ground. You won't find your breakfast just hanging around. In the future, when you try to grow feed from seeds, you'll sweat and work hard to fight off the weeds. From now on, your body will start to get sick. And one day, your heart will beat its last tick. And because of the sin of you and your wife, one day there will be an end to your life. And then he said, well, that day was surely the worst day of all. It was such a bad day, we call it the fall. We were close to God once, but then sin came along it's the cause of all things that we see going wrong. And into the world, this sin has brought death, and cancer, and pimples, and shortness of breath, and teasing, and fighting, and many a war, and robbers, and blindness, and bullies, and more. You might have thought this has nothing to do with you or your family, but that isn't true. Like Adam and Eve, we all went, want our own way. It's clear in the Bible, we all disobey. And sin is as vile and as gross as can be. And you're stuck in the stuff and it's in you and me. That sin in our life means we can't go to heaven unless we trust Christ, Christ to have it forgiven. And so next time your molar is giving you pain or your bike gets a flat and you're caught in the rain, remember why we're in the mess that we're in. The world has gone wacky because of this sin. Isn't that good? That explains it to me about as well as I could hear I could ever preach on it. I've been preaching for weeks, and I couldn't say any better than that. And um, the day the world went wacky, well, something has gone terribly wrong, hasn't it? And today the world is a suffering place. I opened one of the news magazines this week, and there was this poor woman in Africa, and she was starving, and her little child was there, and the child was starving. And it was about the most grotesque, sad thing. And you could see the stains of the tears running down her face. We live in a suffering world, a world full of pain, a world that has gone wacky. And you see, you and I have the only explanation for why the world is wacky. Your atheist and secularist friend can't explain why there's all this pain and suffering. Only You and I with a biblical uh, worldview can explain that. The brokenness of this world and the sadness of this world is not near as big a problem to me as it is to the unbeliever because I understand where it came from. I understand why we're suffering. I understand why why we have sinned. And so it's not the problem to me because I understand that evil is a part of this story. The Bible is the story of humankind. The Bible is the story of human history. This is not a book of mythology and fairy tale. This is God's true story, his true narrative of human history. And evil is a part of the story. Now, evil was not a part of the story to begin with. Evil intruded when man rebelled against Almighty God. And so the Bible is the story of how God is taking a broken world, a sinful and rebellious world, the story of people that have been broken by the sin of that world, and God puts it all back together again. I had someone say to me some time back, Pastor, I want to ask you a question. Why does God allow this to go on? There's so much overwhelming suffering and evil in the world. Why doesn't God just intervene and stop it? And you know what I said to them? I said, God is doing something right now. Don't think that God is not very, very active right now. The book of Acts, chapter number... Fifteen and verse 14 says that God is calling out a people for his name. What does that mean? That means that God is now at this point in the process where God is sending the gospel out across the world and when people respond and accept that gospel and heed his offer and receive the gift of his grace well God is building a family James Kennedy called it God's forever family. God is creating a brand new race of people. The race is not based on skin color. The race is not based on language or uh, it's not based on uh, geography where you live in the world. God's new race of human beings is based upon whether or not people have the Holy Spirit living in their hearts that they've come to Christ. And we are his new race, his new forever family that he's creating. And he has eternal plans for us, believe me. And so a biblical worldview, we have hope. While all this suffering and evil in the world and the world is wringing its hands, what are we going to do about it? And they have not been able to solve one single problem that sin causes. And we have hope. We know that there is an answer. We know that God is not passively sitting by somewhere out in eternity. We know that God is active and God is using us and should be using every one of us to get the gospel out to every single person until the last person on the far reaches of the earth has received the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he'll call us home. He'll wind things down. Now, here's the question today. What will have to happen for God to restore the universe back to where it was before sin came in? Let me say that again, because that is a Christian worldview belief that is extremely important. What will have to happen? What series of events will have, are required to happen? for God to restore the universe back to where it was, just like it was the day that Adam and Eve were created and before sin ever entered? Or how will God restore the universe to its former glory, its pristine condition, like it was the very day that he made it? Now, some of you may not know that he's going to do that, but the Bible teaches that over and over. And let me give you five things this morning And I hope you might write them down in the references because if you want hope, here's the basis of our hope for the future. And we who have a biblical worldview, we're optimistic. We know there's a lot of problems and suffering and pain, but we also know that God has a plan for the future restoration of his entire creation, the entire universe, not just planet Earth. All right? I want you to open your Bible then back to the book of Revelation and the last few chapters, and we're going to use that as the basis for most of what we talk about the rest of the time today. And number one, how is God going to restore the world? Well, number one, the curse must be reversed. Number one, the curse must be reversed. You'll find that in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 3. And it's just very simple and plain. There shall be no more curse. And so the curse will be reversed. What do I mean about the curse? I read to you about it in the little children's book. And the Bible describes it in Genesis 3. And if you were here last week, we went over that in in great detail. And when man and woman sinned, then God put a curse. He withdrew blessing, if you will. And the curse is not profanity, not some occultic something, but God said, bad things now are going to happen. I'm going to put a punishment on you for your rebellion against me. And as a result, there's pain in childbirth, Genesis chapter 3. The ground now reluctantly bears its crop. The ground would have brought forth a hundredfold before the curse. Now it maybe brings forth 30-fold or 40-fold or some, some smaller uh, amount. As a consequence of the curse, man has to work hard and labor. And there's a sense of futility in the labor. A sense that, oh my, this never ends back breaking labor for the rest of my life. Nothing comes easy. The curse means there's a sense of futility, a sense of emptiness. My life is not fulfilled. My life is not rich. My life is not happy in so many respects. I wish I could change things, that sense of meaninglessness and futility. And as a result of the curse, there was disease. All kinds of sicknesses, thousands of different things that can make our bodies sick. And as a result of that, there's pain. The thorns there that were a part of God's curse upon the ground means that we're symbols of pain. And pain and suffering is ever with us. You won't believe how many times this week with three deaths in our church, that I've been to the intensive care unit and to the hospice house. And you won't believe how much suffering I personally have seen this week. And I think, oh God, will this ever, ever end? And it's because of evil coming into the world on that day. And then the ultimate, the wages of sin is death. And so death comes. And every single one of us will die. That's what must be reversed if there's going to be a restored universe. In fact, in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 22, where we've been studying on Sunday nights, the Bible has this very poignant phrase. It says, the whole creation groaneth in travail. The whole creation, the universe, the stars, the moon, the galaxies, and the earth here. And all the universe groans in pain, it says. And the idea is, the groaning has the idea of a woman in her birth pangs in great pain as she labors to bring forth a baby. And so the curse must be reversed. Everything that makes life miserable, God is going to remove that day. And everything that makes life pleasant then God is going to renew on that day and restore in full measure so that the universe can be like it was the day it came from his hand. There's a beautiful descriptive passage in the book of Isaiah. Just keep your finger there in Revelation. Go back to Isaiah, if you will, the middle of your Bible or a little bit after the middle of your Bible if you're a new Christian. Isaiah chapter number 11. One of the most beautiful passages that you may want to mark and be able to find it again because it tells you what this universe is going to be like after God takes away the curse. The curse is reversed. And now what is life on planet earth going to be like? Isaiah chapter number 11 and verse 4. With righteousness shall he, that's Jesus, judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. He's going to just destroy evil. And righteousness shall be the girdle or the clothing of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And nature will be changed. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid, the little calf. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear will feed together. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The sucking child, a little tiny infant, will play on the hole of the asp. The asp is an adder or a cobra. Can you imagine a little infant playing on the den of a cobra? And the weaned child, a little bit older, will put his hand On the cockatrice den. And they shall not hurt or destroy. In all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. Isn't that beautiful? One of the most beautiful passages. In all the scripture. And only the person with a biblical world view. Is looking out there and seeing that. You see the rest of the world doesn't anticipate. That there will be a day like that. But we do. Limitations will be lifted. You know, I don't know what my IQ is, but if it's 40, it'll be 100 when Jesus comes. Because I'm limited right now mentally in my thinking capacity. All my capacities are diminished right now. I'm subject to all kinds of microbes and diseases, but then I'll have perfect health. Nature will flourish, the crops will bring forth more abundantly and without the hard labor. The soil will be soil will be replenished. The pollution will be cleansed away from the oceans and the rivers where man has so messed it up. The blessing of God will be upon the entire universe instead of the curse of God. Does that do anything for you today? I can't tell it. Am I the only one here who believes that? No, that's a wonderful, glorious expectation of a restored universe that the Lord is going to give to us. Number two, Satan must be removed. Satan must be removed. Look there in your Bible again in Revelation chapter 20 and verse one. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain was in his hand. And the angel laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. That's always been his game, deceive people into thinking that evil is good. And they're going to lock him up for a thousand years. And after that, he will be loosed for a little season, it says. And then go down to verse seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And then go to verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast again into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, and he shall be tormented together Are tormented day and night forever and ever. So number one, the curse will be reversed. Number two, Satan will be removed. Now he's the source of all evil. There was no evil until Satan fell, rebelled against God, and then came and tempted Adam and Eve. And Satan will be removed and all sin and rebellion will be rid from the universe through him. Satan, the deceiver of all the nations, it even says here, makes evil look so attractive to people today. Satan will be removed and he will be cast into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night. Continue to read with me because point number three is that sin must be punished. Sin must be punished. The curse must be reversed, lifted, removed. Satan must be removed, locked away for eternity. And number three, sin must be punished. Revelation chapter 20, continue reading, same chapter, verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place for them, no place to hide. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were all opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, everyone who's died throughout history, were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to the works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Every unsaved person, every person who ever died outside of Christ, now standing before this great white throne, and they are judged every man according to their works. Now, it doesn't say that about the Christian at the judgment seat of Christ. It says that about the unsaved person at the great white throne. They're judged by their works, what they did in this life. And then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And oh, what a somber verse. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the into the lake of fire. Sin will be punished. You know what will make the world perfect or what is part of making the world perfect again? There's got to be perfect justice. Perfect justice. This is talking about the day when perfect justice comes to the earth. When every evil, when every sin, when every single wrong that has ever been done will again be punished. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2 is a verse I've preached on a number of times here. You've heard me preach on it. Every transgression and every disobedience will receive a just, just, not one bit more punishment than deserved, but not one less bit of punishment than deserved. Every sin and transgression and disobedience of God Will receive a just recompense of reward. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2. So, for there to be perfect justice in the universe, there must be perfect punishment for every sin and every evil that was ever done. When people say to me, I don't believe in hell, preacher, you know what you're saying? I don't want justice. That's what you're saying. Hell is where God administers pure and perfect justice from his throne upon every evil that was ever done. And when you and I truly face the fact of our sin and realize that every sin deserves a just punishment, we realize the necessity then of this place called hell. The people who cheated justice in this world They're going to meet eternal justice face to face that day. Adolf Hitler, with the blood of six million Jews on his hands, is going to get perfect justice. The books will be balanced. Stalin, Mao, these men whose hands drip with the blood of millions of people. But not just them. Look in Revelation chapter 21, if you will, with me, and we'll just read it. That's the quickest way to describe it. Revelation 21 and 8, this is who will be in hell also, in addition to those men. The fearful, meaning those who were afraid to stand up and trust Jesus Christ. And the unbelieving and the abominable, those who committed abomination and murderers, I wonder how many murderers are walking the streets of Florence today that have never had to pay for their sin. Their sin has never been found out. It'll be found out that day. And whoremongers. And sorcerers, occultists. And idolaters, those who worship things other than Almighty God. And all liars. Back when I was in Bible college, we said, all liars shall be friars based on the great theology of that verse right there. All liars will burn with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so perfect justice will be done. May I describe to you what that perfect injustice entails real briefly, number one this morning. It means banishment from the presence of God forever and ever for all of eternity. In 2 Thessalonians chapter one and verse nine, The Lord will say, depart from me, you that did evil in this world. Depart from me. And he banishes them for all of eternity from his presence. Now, you see, if God is the source of all good, and he is, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, nor shadow of turning. If God is the source of all good, and Satan is the source of all evil, and you're banished from the presence of God, that means there'll be nothing good in hell. Johnny Carson used to laugh and say, well, if I go to hell, I'll be down there with Dean Martin and all them, and we'll have the biggest poker game. It'll last for thousands of years. No, 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 no. You won't care anything about your friends if I'm reading my Bible rightly about this place called hell. And to be banished from all that is good and to be sent to where... The source of all evil is, well, you just go figure, as we say, what hell is truly going to be like. It not only is a place of banishment from God's presence, hell will be a place of torment, a place of torment. The Bible talks about outer darkness, utter darkness. Darkness so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. Characterized by weeping, And wailing, people wail when there's no hope. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. They grind their teeth in pain. You still believe that stuff, preacher? Absolutely, from the bottom of my foot to the top of my head, I believe it. Yes, I do. It's a place where a man begs for one drop of water to put on his tongue. The world may laugh at it. The secularists may say, impossible. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not taking any chances on that for Bill Monroe, and I hope you won't. It's a place of banishment from all that is good to where all is bad. It's a place of torment. And it's a place that will last for all of eternity. The Bible uses the words everlasting punishment a number of times. The word everlasting there is a Greek word. has the idea of duration without end. Duration. Something lasting and enduring without end forever and ever. I don't know about you. I have a hard time getting my mind around eternity. I can't get my mind around it. I can think about hell lasting for 50 years, 100 years, Five hundred years? That's hard, maybe. A thousand years? I can't even I can't even comprehend a thousand years into the future. But a thousand years, that's not the end. If the Bible's true. A thousand years and eternity's just begun. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus Christ compared hell, he used the word gehenna. And what he was describing was the garbage dump that was outside the city of Jerusalem. It was a ravine. Everybody brought their garbage there the top of the hill and threw it down in there. There was everything there from rotting human corpses to potato peelings to everything that people would throw away. And it smoldered. The fire never really burned up. It wasn't Flaming up around the garbage dump, but it was always there. It was smoldering and burning and smoking. An awful place. Gehenna is what he called it. And that's how Jesus compared hell. He said, it's where the worm dieth not. The fire is never quenched. According to Mr. Barnes' surveys, most people in America believe there's a place called hell. Yet, the majority of people are convinced that they're not going there. It's like 80% of the people in America believe, yes, I believe there's a place called hell because there's got to be some sort of justice because we don't see justice very well in this life. And in our desire for justice to be done, we want a place of punishment, but We don't want to be the one who goes there. And most people just block it out. They don't think there's any possibility that they will ever go to this place. Listen to me. Pastor, how can a loving God send people to hell for all of eternity? You ever wondered that? Answer, he doesn't it's not the love of god that sends people to eternity it's the justice of god that sends people to eternity and over and over and over the bible talks about god's righteousness he always does right his justice a fair equitable punishment for wrong not more than it deserves and not less than it deserves and i can't tell you much more about hell Because I can only tell you what the Bible said I do know this, that love and justice go together That a loving God If he truly loves me Cannot ignore evil That abounds like it's abounding in the world today If he has power to do something about it And he does Number four, death must be destroyed Revelation 21 And verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. And so the curse must be reversed. Satan must be removed. Sin must be punished. Death must be destroyed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, calls death the last enemy that shall be destroyed. And boy, is it the enemy and I guess I'm sensitive to that this morning in some of our members here. I look over here and see Dawn and I see Chris and some of the people here that have lost their mother and loved ones this week. And someday there'll be no more funerals, thank God. Someday there will be no more graveyards. There'll be no broken hearts. There'll be no eyes swollen with sorrow. Won't it be wonderful? That should make you folks shout, the coldest member in this church. All that's going to be gone because death will be no more. Number five, and lastly, Christ must return. Christ must return. If we're going to restore the world to what it was, We've got to have God present. We've got to have Jesus here. Now listen to this statement. Just as Jesus' first coming to the cross was the basis for salvation of our soul, his second coming will be the basis for the restoration of all things. Let me say that again. It bears repetition. Just as Jesus' first coming to the cross was the basis... For salvation of our soul His second coming Will be the basis for the restoration Of all things If you want the world to be restored You've got to have God back Walking in the garden Like he was in Genesis chapter 3 He's coming back Matthew 24 and 30 And then we shall see the Son of Man Coming in the clouds of heaven With glory and great power Titus 2 and 13, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he comes, what's he going to do? He's going to become the king, and he's going to establish upon the earth an eternal kingdom. Turn quickly, Daniel chapter 2 in your Bible, and one of the most glorious passages you will find anywhere, Daniel chapter 2, is our hope today of a restored universe that everything will be made right. And in Daniel chapter number 2 and verse 44, in the days of these kings, the 10 kings at the end of time, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom and it will never be destroyed and the the kingdom shall not be left to other people but but it shall break in pieces and consume all the other kingdoms and his kingdom shall stand forever. Isn't that wonderful? Five things necessary to get the world back to what it was like, to restore it perfectly to what it was like before the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or pardon me, before Adam sinned in the Garden of Gethsemane. The curse must be reversed. Satan must be removed. Sin must be punished. Death must be destroyed, and Christ must return to the earth. I want to ask you who you're depending on for the future. I've just preached to you what I'm depending on. On what are you depending to make this world a better place? The UN, I guess. Huh? They've done a great job, haven't they? The federal government of the United States... They're going to make it a paradise one day, huh? Education. We're going to educate people and they're going to ultimately come out of this and they just won't sin anymore, right? No. Hebrew word, baloney. No. No to all that. Man won't be able to bring that about. It can only be brought about through Jesus, the only way to God. The only way to God the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people think when we say that Jesus is the only way that we're being narrow-minded, perhaps we are, but I ask you a question. Now listen to me real carefully. Who other than Jesus ever did anything in history to take away the sin problem of the world? If Jesus doesn't do it, There's nobody standing in the wings, I can tell you that. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to God unless you come through him. Bow your heads with me if you will, please. Close your eyes in a brief moment, an altar call.
1: We work the field of souls Together you and I Some fields are blooming now Other fields are dry We are not the same But differences aside We will work the field of souls Together you and I One is off to foreign soil To work a distant land, oh yes
0: And
1: another anchor's close to home We were together. And this is what Jesus has left for you and I to do we'll work Oh we to feel the soul